I think it's turned on. Oh, it is turned on. Wow. Good, good morning again. I was waiting for that seven-minute lull in the conversation. I'm sure if you've had family gatherings in the last uh, couple of weeks, you look for that lull in the conversation to say whatever it is you thought you needed to say. Um, I hope everybody has had an amazing Christmas. Richard will probably remind us that Christmas is ongoing, right? We're still in the 12 days of Christmas. I don't know which day it is. Does anybody know? Is it the seven lords of leaping day or whatever the, well, all right, but by the end of the meeting, we'll know which day of Christmas it is. It's 11th. It's the 11th? What's the, what's the 11 in the song? Anybody know? No idea. All right. I'll find out what number 11 is. Um, 11 lords of leaping? Well, I knew it was lords of leaping. I don't know how I knew that. That may be my divine moment for the day. Um, so I want to thank everybody for being here this morning. Uh, we're still, I'm still trying to sort of figure out what communication channels work. Um, I'm grateful to see folks here this morning. This undoubtedly is the coldest day ever that the men of RUMC have ever had gathered for breakfast. If anybody has any evidence to the contrary, let me know. But until then, I'm going to say we've set the record at 20 degrees. I was just grateful my car started and went up the driveway. Um, so uh, this morning, um, Richard Jarvis is going to be speaking to us. Uh, he may give you a little bit of his background, but I've known Richard uh, probably 15 years. And I can't decide whether or not to measure how I've known him in terms of years or relationship. Because things have happened in Richard's life. Richard's life is not the formula that you sign up for when you graduate from high school. And I've gotten to see him on part of his journey and sometimes it's a little bit like a roller coaster ride, and I hope he'll share some of that with you. But I feel very privileged to have gotten to see Richard in parts of his journey that he, you know, was not probably what he planned when he graduated from high school. When I first met him, he would always start by saying, when I worked in the news business and with the movie The Post, which I haven't seen and it's in the press right now, whenever I think of somebody in the news business, I think of Richard and deadlines and having to get stuff out and being in people's lives when things happen to them, both good and and misfortunate. And so Richard has always been one of those people to me who is a man of the people. And so uh, I look forward to hearing what he has to say to us this morning. Um, when Richard's done, uh, I have a few questions for the group while we're, while we're all gathered. But um, this is Richard Jarvis. He has been a, a member of RUMC uh, probably 10 or 15 years ago, and somehow or another he it ended up in our Sunday school class, and um, I got to know him under those conditions too. So, Richard, with uh, no more introduction than that, there may be a need for questions and answers later, but with no more than that, um, Richard Jarvis, please come speak to us. There's a train whistle. <laughs> Does it come with a story? I think you blow it when someone scores a football touchdown. Oh, okay. By the way, uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the church sign out there that says that if uh, you made any promises during the second overtime the other night, that uh, worship's at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. So you know that that's the case. Uh, in fact... Uh, I put that up on the Facebook page for my church, just the picture of the one from the Jonesboro Methodist Church. And then later on, I saw it showed up on Midway's Facebook page, too. So that's, this is how these things work. 
There is no originality whatsoever in uh, church work. I'm Richard Jarvis. <clears throat> I used to come here. In my mind, I'm supposed to be here. And I don't mean here, here. I mean there, here. Complaining about Eric having me at some meeting at 6.30 in the morning because he couldn't say no, which is sort of how my life with Eric has always been, which is the process of Eric not being able to say no and then getting pulled into it. And these other two guys also got involved in that way, too. So this is so life is often a process of the people in your life who can't say no. I had made a practice of saying no for a long time. So I'm no longer there here, but because I'm not there here, I'm here here now. So we'll let you all figure all of that out. I love this church. I had planned on this being the last church I would ever go to, unless I retired up in the mountains or something. This is where I was going to go to church for the rest of my life. I was certain of that. I love this place. I love the people. I love the worship. I love Roswell. Everything about this place I love. So I left it because I love Jesus more. And that's pretty much the simple explanation. About... Oh, about eight years ago now, um, my son was in the confirmation class here at Roswell, my middle son, Riley. And um, I had had a long time struggle with my faith. And the struggle wasn't so much with my faith, but as to what it was going to result in. So for a long time, I had been saying no to God because unlike Eric, I am able to say no, or at least I thought I was for a long time. So I'd been saying no to God for a long time. Part of my story involves, as Eric says, relationships. Um, at this time, I had been divorced twice. I was in a relationship with the woman who's now my wife, my third wife, and I was pretty sure that I was outside of God's zone that, you know, I could come here, I could worship, I could be part of this place, but that God would not ask anything of me because I was clearly unqualified. And I had made my mind up on that. So we take 95 middle school age kids and we put them on three buses and we leave Roswell. We get to Epworth with two buses and still the same 95 kids. One of the buses died along the way. Um, so that was left at a rest area somewhere on the road down to Epworth. And during that weekend, I was overcome with probably the second most powerful experience of the Holy Spirit I've ever had in my life. It was such that I felt almost as if I was having a heart attack at times. The weight on my chest was heavy. Um, and I went through all the motions. I had a group of kids I was supposed to watch over and take care of. Um, had friends from here that I was with. We had breakfast like y'all have had every morning. Uh, and then we would go sit out on the porches and all the adults would talk to each other. Um, really good group of people. But I was in another place the whole time I was down there. And so on the bus coming back up, um, I sat next to your former youth pastor here, Dan. Dan and I sat next to each other. We talked, and and then there was a lot of periods of just being quiet, and I just prayed, and I just thought about what was being presented to me. And so 
what was being presented to me was that I needed to leave what I was doing and go into ministry. Just so you know, you're in a dangerous place. Yeah. Because I was 48 years old at that time. I'm 55 years old now. Just know that putting yourself here puts your impressions of what you are in danger. Because who you are and what you are is determined by who God created you to be. And as long as you try to live outside of the created person that God has made you to be, you are in danger. Remember that. Do not ever enter into a moment with God lightly. Do not ever say yes lightly. Do not ever volunteer to work with teenagers or kids lightly. Because the point is, you think you're helping somebody else and you're doing something. And the truth is, God's getting ready to do you a favor. So I came back from that trip to Epworth. And what I found out was that I needed to go into the ministry. So I had lunch with um, Stacy Hansen, who was here at that time. I met with Mike Long, who was here at that time. I talked to Sharon Yancey, who was here at that time. And then I said, well, this is just all impossible. Because one of the requirements to become a United Methodist pastor is that you have to have a Master of Divinity degree. And it has to be from a United Methodist school. Well, I had a family. I had child support. I had all of these things I needed to do. So I had to keep working. The closest United Methodist Seminary is Candler over at Emory. Well, at 4.30 every day, they close because they don't believe in doing night classes. And they don't believe in doing online classes. And they believe you should be on campus all day, every day. And that's just the way they do business. I thought, well, then seminary is out. So if that's the case, God, I'm done. I'm through with this. I've listened to what you had to say. That's all good. We're good. I told you I would look into it. I've looked into it. We're done. Everything's over with. So then I was doing some more research, and I looked up the list of other Methodist schools. There's actually two in Atlanta. I finally realized that. The other one is Gammon, which is downtown. And they also don't do online classes. They do have a little bit more flexibility. But I saw this one called United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. You think it's cold here. (laughs) Just so you know. It's not cold here. So... I thought, well, what is this place? So I went to their website. Because what do you do? You go to the website now. It's the first place you go. You go to learn about things at the website. Well, guess what? They had a hybrid program where you could go a couple of weeks, and then you could finish the rest of your work online. Basically, I could use my vacation time and go to seminary. So I started over again. And I said, okay. So I met with the district superintendent, who was Ed Tomlinson at that time, and I got in the process that I am still in, and I'll be finishing, I hope, in the next year, of becoming an ordained elder in United Methodist Church. I'm 55 years old. Understand you are in a dangerous place. The life you think you have may not be the life that God has for you. I am 55 years old, and I am working on becoming ordained. I am also pastoring a church, which is why I'm no longer here. Um, I have a tiny church over in Cherokee County. It's Union Hill United Methodist Church. Uh, We have a preschool. It's got about 30 kids in it. And I work over there on Wednesdays. I'm still doing a full-time job, so I'm bivocational. 
But understand that you're in a dangerous place. Anytime you enter into a moment where the Holy Spirit can work on you, you're in a dangerous place. Let me tell you a little bit about the Holy Spirit. My first and most powerful experience of the Holy Spirit was when I was in the process of getting divorced the second time. It had been really bad. In fact, Eric remembers some of that time. And I was exhausted. I hadn't been sleeping. I had been working. I had been trying to hold all of this together. I had been trying to keep up with all of the legal side of everything. And any of you who have ever been involved in any kind of legal proceedings understand it becomes a full-time job unto itself. That's whether you're in a lawsuit, you're in a divorce, or whatever. It it becomes its own full-time thing. And I was exhausted. And I couldn't sleep. All I could do was just spin and spin and spin and cycle all of this stuff in my head. And one night I laid down to go to sleep. And I was in this little upstairs bedroom. I was on a little... uh, futon bed. And I was so exhausted. And the only prayer I had left in me was just help me. That was it. It was all I had. And in that moment, there was a presence in the room. I can kind of close my eyes. I can go back there. There was a presence in the room. And I felt like somebody had just wrapped a blanket around me like it had just come out of the dryer. It was so warm. And I wasn't alone in the room anymore. And I was overcome with such a sense of peace and such a sense of power that I fell asleep and I slept like a stone for eight straight hours. It's the first time I'd slept like that in maybe a year or two years. I don't know. And that was the presence of the Holy Spirit, powerful, right there and in the moment. The next time I felt that was at Epworth. And that was a whole weekend of feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit including worship on Sunday morning when we had all the kids in the chapel there and we were worshiping. We all took our shoes off before we went in. Um, I remember singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. That's number 400 in your Methodist hymnals, in case you want to know. And um, I can just remember the feeling of the Holy Spirit being, again, warm and powerful and present in my life. And I can just remember the scrambling presence of the Holy Spirit. Those of you who've read the Pentecost story understand that the presence of the Holy Spirit can both give you strength and comfort, but it is a dangerous thing. Because once you experience the Holy Spirit in a way like that, there's no going back. You can't go back to being who you were before you experience the Holy Spirit in that kind of a way. I couldn't go back to who I was before that moment in that upstairs bedroom. I couldn't go back to who I was before that place in Epworth. It's like Abraham being told to go to Ur. You gotta go. You gotta go. Because there's only misery if you don't go. And I had been through the misery part. So one of my favorite scriptures that got me through all of this and got me through getting my seminary degree comes from Matthew's Gospel. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount. And it's it's probably one of the most powerful scriptures that we can come across. I like to call the Sermon on the Mount Jesus' stump speech. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Notice that the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work, and they don't spend cloth. But I say to you, that even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses the grasses in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, you people of weak faith? Therefore don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself, and each day has enough trouble of its own. So I had to learn to stop worrying. I had to learn how to go back to school when I was 48 years old and take seminary classes, use my vacation time, but God has a way of preparing us. So one of the things I did was uh, <clears throat> I took some advice of several very wise people, and I did something called clinical pastoral education. It's called CPE. And basically, you spend, like I needed something else to do, you spend five months working as a chaplain in a usually a healthcare setting. Me, I wound up at St. Joseph's Hospital down in Sandy Springs. I had had one semester of seminary. Most people who do CPE do it at the end of their seminary. I did this after my first semester of seminary. I've always done things differently. And a friend of mine at the time said, well, so all you had was just the Holy Spirit being with you then. I said, yep, that's all I had. I had no seminary education. I had no clue what I was doing. I would just walk into people's rooms and I would be the chaplain because that's what you do as a uh, intern, chaplain intern. So there's a story. I had only been there maybe two weeks and I get called one night up to the fourth floor uh, to talk to a patient. Go upstairs, talk to him. He's wanting to fill out an advanced directive. Do all of you have advanced directives? If you don't, you need to have one. Otherwise, your wives get to decide when you die. So just so you know. <laughs> and some of your wives may be going to take you out anyway, so that's fine. Uh, just, just understand an advanced directive is very important. So he wanted some help filling out an advanced directive. So I go upstairs. And there's this little tiny, very pale man sitting in the room. And I've got a copy of the advance directive. This is going to be easy. I'm just going to check this off. So I sit down and I start talking to him. His name's Gary. And I said, okay, so what do you want to do? And he said, uh, I said, why do you want an advance directive? I said, what do you want to do with this thing? So we talked it over and everything. And I said, well, um, this will help you. This will get you what you want to do. And then he said, well, I, this is good. This is uh, because I want to do this. And I said, okay, that's very good. He said, I want to do this because my wife is a drunk and I don't trust her. I want my sister to be my executor. Okay. I said, have you talked to your sister about this? He says, well, not really. I said, is your sister in town? And he said, yes. I said, is she going to be here to see you in the next day or so? He said, yes. 
I said, why don't you talk to your sister about this before you do all of this? So I left the paperwork with him. He was just sitting in there all by himself. Um, I went out and talked to the nurses, told them what I'd done and everything. And then um, he's gone. I don't see him again. I think, well, that's over with. About two weeks later, uh, I come in to do my shift. And there's a note saying, go up to room four whatever. Uh, there's a patient up there who has asked for you to come and see him. Okay. Well, it's Gary. And Gary is dying of kidney failure. He's got cancer. He's got all kinds of things. His life is a total train wreck. His wife is a drunk. In fact, she showed up at the hospital drunk. And he's dying. And every night I would go up to his room and I would sit there and talk to him. Gary was a non-practicing Jew. He had been long distance from his faith. So I had called uh, Jewish Family Services. They had come in to help him some. Um, but he just wanted to talk. And he would tell me about his life back when he was healthy, about how he used to sell cars and how he had a boat and he had a lake house and he had all this fun. And when he married this woman, life was just a great big party. And so then one night he said, do you know I have a son? I said, no, Gary, you've never said anything about having children. I said, where is he? He says, I think he's in Iowa. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, he's from my first marriage, and he doesn't like my current wife. I said, okay. How long has it been since you talked to him, Gary? It's been years. Well, Gary, that doesn't sound good. Why did you do that? Why haven't you been talking to him? He says, well, he said, just time passes. And I said, well, Gary, do you want to talk to him? And he says, I do. I says, well, do you know how to get in touch with him? You need to get in touch with him. Does he know you're in here? He says, no, he doesn't know I'm in here. I said, well, Gary, he needs to know you're in here. He says, well, he has two kids, too. I have two grandsons. I said, well, Gary, what are you doing? And he says, I don't know. I said, do you have a way to get in touch with him? Do you have a phone number for him? He says, yeah, I've got a phone number. It's right here. And I said, well, why don't you call him? And he says, would you call him for me? Okay. Um... Sure, I'll call him Gary. So I get the guy's phone number, I get this kid's phone number, and I go downstairs, and I call him, and I say, I'm the chaplain at St. Joseph's Hospital, I'm in Atlanta. Your father's here. Is he okay? Yes, he's okay. Well, what's going on? I said, well, I can't tell you that. That's I, I can't give you his information, but I can tell you he wants to talk to you. He says he does. And I said, yes, he does. I said, he very much wants to talk to you, and I think you should talk to him. So I gave him the number to the room, and I said, please call him. He's in his room. He's got the phone in his lap. And so then I hang up. I go get in the elevator, and I walk up to the room, and Gary's on the phone, and his face is just lighting up. He's talking to his son. I'd had one semester of seminary. I had no clue what I was doing. I was in way over my head. Every day I would go up there, I would talk to Gary. Gary got moved to the ICU. I came in one Monday and I went to check on him in the ICU, and there were pictures up on the little bulletin board in there of two boys that looked like they were about 8, 12 years old. I said, Gary, who are those? He said, they're my grandsons. They came to see me this weekend. I said, really? He said, yes, my son came and he brought my grandsons with him. And he came to see me, and they were here all day Saturday. I said, how was that, Gary? He said, it was great. 
I said, how do you feel about that? He says, I feel so much better. So he had those pictures up there. He was in the ICU. They moved him out of the ICU and back to the floor where the kidney patients were because he was on dialysis. And I went and I said, why have they moved Gary out of ICU? And they said, well, he said he wanted to be back over here where he knows everybody. I said, okay, that makes sense. I said, so what's the story with him? And they said, well, he's not going to get better. I said, okay. So um, I finally met the sister. That was the next thing I had to do was meet the sister. So she comes in, and she's talking to me, and I'm sitting and talking to her, and she's talking about Gary. And and I said, you know, you're going to have to be the person that signs off on all the paperwork. You have his power of attorney now. You have everything. And so she, I talked to her for a long time, talked to her husband for a long time. And uh, so then about two more weeks go by. Gary, just is, he's just sliding downhill. So I would just go into his room at night, and since I knew he was Jewish, I would just read a psalm to him. Sometimes he'd be in, sometimes he'd be out. He'd be half awake. So then I was driving down to the hospital to go to my shift, and I got a call from one of the other chaplains. And she said, um, Richard, uh, Gary has just died. I said, okay. I said, I'm really sorry to hear that. She said, well, they're waiting for you. I said, what do you mean? She said, he's in the room, and his sister and everybody there is waiting for you to come. Okay, I'm on my way. And so I get there, and I go up in the room, and Gary is dead, and Gary's laying there in the bed. And his sister said, we just did not want to take him out of here until you got here. Okay, okay. So um, I prayed over him. I prayed with his sister. And then uh, they left, and um, the nurses went and got a gurney. I helped them put Gary's body on the gurney, and I rolled Gary's body down to the morgue. And then I got a call, and this ancient man from Dressler's funeral home showed up, and I helped him load the body into the hearse and sent him on his way. I had one semester of seminary. I had no clue what I was doing. <clears throat> You're in a dangerous place. Because once you say yes to God, you've given up all control. And you might find yourself in a morgue with a little old Jewish guy loading a body onto a gurney to put it into a hearse. These are the kind of things you might wind up doing. These are the kind of stories you might wind up getting. All because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't dismiss ever the power of the Holy Spirit to turn your life absolutely and completely upside down. And if you ever, ever, ever have the chance to do that, take it. Do it. Don't put your hand to the plow and look back. Just put your hand to the plow and plow the field that God has given you. Because that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we tend to dismiss it. We tend to avoid it. We tend to run from it. We tend to hide from it. Jonah hid from it. You see where that got him. The prophets ran and hid from it. You can see where that got them. I will tell you that the Holy Spirit is relentless. And that when you experience the Holy Spirit in your life, you have no choice but to say yes. And you have no idea what's going to happen to you on the other side of that. So now... On Sundays, you can find me on Union Hill Road in Cherokee County. It's just barely in Cherokee County. It's over close to Birmingham. Any of you know where Birmingham Church is. I'm five miles from there. And 
that's where the Holy Spirit takes me now. I don't know where the rest of this journey is going to go. But don't worry about anything. The Bible's right. Don't worry about it. I had one semester of seminary. But Gary, this non-practicing Jewish guy who hadn't been to a synagogue in probably 40 years, decided I was his pastor. And I have no idea why. I've got no clue why. There were better chaplains than me. He could have chosen any of them. But he decided I was his pastor. And some other people have decided I'm their pastor too. And that's what I get to be. All because the Holy Spirit turned everything upside down. I pray for all of you that sometime in 2018, you will have a Holy Spirit experience that's even better than what happened in overtime the other night that will turn your life upside down, that will change you permanently, that will affect you at the DNA level. And I mean that. Because when I say it will affect you at the DNA level, the Holy Spirit will make you into who God has created you to be. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't try to figure out how you're going to make it all happen. God will take care of that part. But whatever you do, keep yourself open to the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Keep yourself open to the presence that there are things that you do not know and you do not understand, but that can change you forever. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I really should be here today. I should be sitting out there today. But my life got turned upside down. So the only time I ever get in this church now is when Eric asked me to come over here at this ungodly hour in the morning. And of all the ones I could have chosen, I chose the day it was going to be 20 degrees outside. should have said, I'll do it in May, Eric. So anyway, blessings on all of you in the new year. Keep together. Keep strong. And know that the Holy Spirit is always, always very close by. Thank you. I think it's about what I said earlier. Housekeeping? Yeah, just for a minute, then I'm going to ask you to close us in prayer, if that's all right. I can do that. I feared that I had not turned on the recorder this whole time. It, it's, it's so easy what will take you away from the moment. I, um, <laughs> it's crazy how small things turn into big things. Both, you know, you make a slip of the tongue that you don't register, but somebody else registers, and it, it ferments for a year, and you wonder why that relationship came undone. I learned a very powerful lesson from Richard about 15 years ago, and that's when somebody's activities change. They used to be in the group that you were in, and you would see them every week, and you could kind of check in on them easily. When that changes for some reason or another, and you don't see them every week so that you can kind of tell when something's really changed, um, that things can escalate. And before you know it, it's six months later, and what was a small thing is now a life-changing event for them. I say all this to ask if you're not in a small group where you have weekly or monthly check-ins with each other and what's going on in everybody's families, where you talk about things that are, you know, in the back of your mind or in the front, in front of you that you're just, you know, not always paying attention to every day. If you're not in a small group, I will be happy to help you find a small group. I can't tell you how important it is for me that my small group holds me somewhat accountable for when I can't say no. That may be K-N-O-W or it may be N-O, depends upon the day of the week. What, 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 what a grounding experience it is. And that started here at RUMC 15 years ago. 
and it has tethered me to the ground many times where I would have just floated off and gotten into all kinds of trouble on my own. And so I'm grateful that this morning we have a good showing. How many of you got at least one text message yesterday from that? All right. Um, if you didn't get a text message and you carry your cell phone, please, when you send me this email saying you were here this morning, give me your cell phone number, and I will make certain I get you in the group so you get the text message. What if you don't text? What if you don't text? <laughs> well, Roger. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and I'm also trying to send out emails. And if there's another better way for me to communicate with you or your first wife, I remember the first time I met Roger, we were in a new member class and Roger introduced, what's your wife's name? Gail. This is my first wife, Gail. And I was like, I will, I'll remember that to the day that I die because it made me stop and think, what is he really saying? And it makes you stop and think. And I appreciate that about a lot of the men in this group, that you will say things that will make me stop and think. And so uh, you got a little bit of sense of where Richard's journey has taken him from, um, you know, a, a an experience with the youth. We're going to have some service opportunities. I know that um, we've got one coming up. Um, having to do with ceiling tiles and things like that, and I will be sending out an, an, an email about that. It may be not written by me. It may be, be written by, um, I just forgot the guy's name. It's Barney uh, Burroughs was supposed to be here this morning to explain a little bit about that. But we're off to an interesting start this year. I hope that your, uh, your priorities have been at least a little uh, uh, impacted by hearing Bob last month and, and Richard this month. Um, I'll be, uh, we've got speakers that we're lining up for the next couple of months. Uh, I'm enjoying this role. It has given me a, an excuse to get to know many of you more profoundly than I would have otherwise. And so uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be up here um, in the position that Tim, you know, really made possible for, for many of us. Um, I want to thank once again Steve and Bob this morning for breakfast before the sun came up. Um, and, you know, We've got an interesting year in front of us. Um, I am excited. We are Eric Lee and I are, are meeting. There are going to be some things going on with men's ministry, and the breakfast is certainly going to continue to be a part of that. But I'm excited about some of the things that I see happening at RUMC in 2018. Um, you know, they say the one constant is change. When I think of a year ago, what we what we did not know, we didn't know Tom Davis, and there have been many things going on in the life of this church. I did send out a communication to all the men who have joined RUMC in 2017. I am trying to learn the new system that the church is using to keep track of such things called the ministry platform. If any of you have a particular pension and you enjoy, you know, database type work, I'll think of Scott here for just a second. Um, I am, I am trying to learn that enough that I can at least uh, coach other people who are lay people. Because the church is going through changes, and the new, and the staff members don't know how to use the stuff either. If we can help them find their way through some of this technology, it's great. So you may be approached by other people who just joined the church asking about the men's breakfast, because that was the third or fourth email I tried to get out yesterday inviting people today. Did anybody here get, is anybody here because they were invited as a new member? I recognize most of the people in this room. I don't think any of them were here this morning. Um, but I, my, my goal is to do a much better job of getting a higher percentage of the 800 men that call RUMC their church involved. Yes, sir. There you go. Actually, what helped is you sent out your uh, information early in the week, 
This week, I didn't know whether we were going to have it or not because it was a short week. I didn't get to Mm. Well, I will A, send it out earlier, and B, we do have all the dates. So I will send out all the dates, and you can put it on your calendar. Um, Some of us, if you tell me about it a week in advance, I forget about it, and I'm trying to find that, so I appreciate that feedback. I'm trying to find that right level of reminder. I do want most people who get text messages, you will get a reminder the day before because that's how my wife gets me to things. She reminds me the day before. And to do it the, the morning of for this event would not work. So um, thank you for your patience as I kind of learn my way. If you will send me an email with the people who you had breakfast with this morning, that will help us make up for the attendance sheets. I will make certain that they're here next month. And I believe we are meeting on February the 1st. So it is the very first day of, of February is the way it falls. Um, any other questions or comments for the good of the order? What is that email address? It's Eric plus R-U-M-C at Z-Paper. Just Eric anything at R-U-M-C at, at, at Z-Paper.com will get to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'm going to ask uh, Richard to uh, close us out with prayer. Sure. Thanks. Holy Spirit, come and be with us. Come and fill us with your presence. Come and fill us with your power. Come and fill us with the uncertainty that comes when you are here. For when you are here, God is near. Holy Spirit, go with us as we leave from this place. Go with us as we move into the places and the spaces of our lives. Go with us when we head out from here. Go with us out into the market square. Go with us into the cubicle. Go with us into the dining room. Go with us wherever we may be and work through us. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your wonder. Fill us with a sense of awe that you are near. Make us strong. In Christ's name, amen.